Father, we gather this morning not just those of us that are in this space, but some are gathering with us online, in their own homes. There are hundreds of thousands, even millions of other of our brothers and sisters gathering all across this nation, all across this world. All of it and all of us gathering for your name and for your glory. Not for our own, not because of what we have done, not because of anything else, but to give glory to you. Lord, this whole season, with all of its distractions and all of its craziness and its busyness and the presence and the lights and the parties and the food and the traveling and all of those things, they can be such a distraction because the whole point of this season is that we would fix our eyes upon you and your glory and what you have done and what you have promised, and, and not only what you have done, but what you continue to do. And Lord, we just, we want you to be blessed. As the song we just sang said, the chief aim of man, of all of us, is to bring glory to you, to enjoy you, to be in your presence and to dwell with you. And it's because of our sin we aren't able to fulfill that purpose. We aren't able to enjoy you in the way you desire and intended. And that is what Christmas is about. You sent your son to restore and to reconcile and to redeem that we might not only be able to fulfill the purpose in which we have been made for, but that we might also dwell with you and be with you and walk with you and know you and hear your voice and not just in this life, but for eternity to come. So Lord, we thank you. We thank you for all that you do. May you be blessed in this season. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Church, stay standing. And if you've got your Bibles, I want to go ahead and invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 1. Mark, if you want to come back up. Uh, he's going to read for us out of Colossians chapter 1, verses 17 through 18. And as we read these words, be reminded of the King in who we worship this holiday season. Mark, I'll pass it off to you. Colossians 1, 17 and 18. And he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's also head of the body, the church. And he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. Amen. Let me pray one more time. Father, we thank you again for this morning. And we, as this text says, we are reminded that you were before all things. And that in you, you hold all things together. You sustain all things. And you were the head of the body. You were head of the church. Each one of us who have put our faith in you. You were the beginning and the firstborn from the dead in everything 
so that you might be preeminent, that you might be first, you might be exalted. And so, Lord, as we say these things and we read these things, I pray, Father, that as we look upon them this morning, that you would stir our hearts, that you would open our eyes to see who you are, to see who Jesus is, your Son. That this whole season would be focused upon fixing our eyes upon Him. And so, Lord, this morning, work through me, speak through me. Father, I pray that anything that is spoken that is of me this morning would just be forgotten. But Father, we pray that our eyes would see you. Your glory, your face, you would be exalted in all things this morning. We ask and pray all these things. Amen. Church, go ahead and have a seat. Now, I love the Christmas season, as most of us probably do. And one of the things that happens to me every Christmas season is I start to kind of get a little bit nostalgic. Uh, I don't know if any of the rest of you do that, but you tend to um, pull out old Christmas ornaments that your kids made and, you know, the ones with the pictures of the kids inside the little bulb and it looks like they're in the snow or um, that piece of dough clay stuff that they made in like third grade and said, oh, look, here's a Christmas tree. And you're like, oh, yeah, a Christmas tree. That's what that is. Um, and you put it on your tree like it's the most beautiful ornament in the whole world. And, and it just makes me think about a lot of the things that have gone before. And, and I think about all the years of growing up in my mom and dad's house and Christmases where I was thinking about what presents I was going to get. And I never was thinking about what it would be like when I got married or had kids. And, and then I remember all the Christmases when I was single and, and just a young man running around the city doing the things that I was doing and working in school and jobs and all kinds of things and Christmas would come and it was a great time to just eat food and be with my friends and be with my family. Then I got married and, and I remember what it was like to just have one kid and then two kids and then three kids and then four kids and how each one brought a new set of joys and laughters and all kinds of excitement in it. And in each of those things, I look back on, man, I wouldn't want to have anything different in my life. Each one of those things and each one of those seasons has brought me joy. And so I love this season because I think about all of that stuff. I think about all that has gone before. But you know, when we come to Christmas and we read a text like this, it's important for us to remember that with Jesus, there was never a before him. Now just, just think about what that means. There's never been anything before Jesus. No sunrises before Jesus. No sunsets before Jesus. No mountains before Jesus. No oceans before Jesus. No births before Jesus. No deaths before Jesus. No sky before Jesus. No universe before Jesus. No stars. No, nothing was before Him. Nothing was before him. And, and just think about what that means for us. Everything that makes us feel small, everything that makes our time feel short, doesn't do that to him. I mean, we stand before the Grand Canyon and we look at that and we're like, oh, wow, look at this thing. Like, this has been here for thousands of years and, and, and it's so huge and it's so big. Jesus doesn't have that reaction. He was before the Grand Canyon. It doesn't make him feel small because he made the Grand Canyon. It doesn't make him feel like time is short and that thousands of years matters because he was before time. He was before all of it. 
And so when we look at Christmas, we're reminded that, yes, the day that Jesus was born, the day that we celebrate, wasn't his first day. It was the first day that we, as the people of this world, began to see the Word of God in flesh. But it wasn't his first day. He'd been around long before that. That is absolutely crazy and hard for us to imagine, isn't it? Imagine what it would have been like for Mary. Imagine what it would have been like to have this baby born to you, and then over time the baby begins to say things like, yeah, I was before that. Mom, I existed before you. Just think what you would do as a mother. We need to get you some help, baby Jesus. Right? But this is what Mary must have have seen happening as Jesus was, was coming into his own and began to be at the temple and all kinds of other places. We'd start to wonder about Jesus, but she knew, she knew who he was. To claim that you don't have a before is something that none of us would do. And yet that's exactly what Jesus claimed. And before he came in flesh... It's exactly what God told us was going to happen. 400 years before Jesus' birth, Micah chapter 5, verse 2 says this, But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be a ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. From the days of eternity. When did the days of eternity begin? There weren't any. And just in case you think, well, maybe that's misunderstood, or maybe Jesus didn't feel that way about himself, look what Jesus says in John chapter 8. The Jews come to him and say to him, you are not yet 50 years old. In fact, he was only about 30, so I guess 50 was old in those days. Sorry for those of you who are over 50. But you are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Remember Abraham, the patriarch of the people of Israel, the, one, the, the first Jew, the very first Israelite. Have, have you seen Abraham? Look at Jesus' response. Truly, truly. And whenever Jesus says that twice, you want to, he, he's saying, pay attention to what I'm about to say. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, like Jesus isn't even talking like past tense, present tense. He's just saying, I am. I'm, I am always. I've always been. I'm, I'm always in existence. Like, you think that was shocking? Well, so they picked up stones to throw at him, not for fun. They wanted to kill him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the, tension, out of the temple. Jesus very intentionally goes all the way back to the beginning of the people of Israel and says, yeah, I was before then. I was before you. So here's the thing for us in this Christmas season. In every Christmas season, even as Christians, either God lied through Micah and Jesus lied when he said this in John chapter 8 and spoke it to his people, and Paul is lying in the book of Colossians or Christmas is a celebration of having revealed to us the one who was before everything. Before everything. Now, why does that matter to us? Well, Paul establishes why it matters. 
And he starts by saying that he, as the one who is before everything, the first of all things, he is also the one who is the sustainer of all things. He's the one who holds all things together. Paul says that Jesus, this baby that we worship now, existed before all things, and everything is being held and tied together through Jesus. So for us to truly understand what Paul is saying, this is one of those, another one of those moments where we need to look at what he's writing and look at the tense of the word that he's using. He's using the perfect tense when he describes this. For all you people like me who didn't grow up really caring about grammar, here's why that matters. Because what Paul is saying and what he's indicating is that everything has been held together, everything will and is being held together, and then everything will only be held together into the future as long as he wants it to be held together into the future. The word means sustained. My favorite part or my favorite definition is cohered together. Cohered together. Prevented from falling into chaos. So let's just look at that scientifically and think about what that means. Electrons that circle around a nuclei only do so as long as Jesus wants them to. Gravity ceases to function the second that Jesus no longer wants it to function. Planets without Jesus would be thrown out of their orbits and would spiral off into space. The breath that sustains you and me every single day is breath that is given to you by Him. You know when we, when we lay our heads down on the pillow at night and you close your eyes and you fall asleep, you know what I love about one of that moment? And a lot of times I forget to think about this, but every once in a while it just hits me. I do nothing to stay alive at night. Like in the day when we're living, we, we have this kind of illusion that we're doing things to maintain our life. At night, nothing. You don't maintain your breath. You don't maintain your heartbeat. It just goes. Why? Because Jesus says go. Because Jesus sustains it all. And we can think, man, this is, this is crazy to think that, that this man that was born 2,000 years ago is before all things. That he's the sustainer of all things. But brothers and sisters, that is exactly what God's word says about Jesus. We didn't make it up. This isn't some myth. This is something that's existed since before Jesus, was communicated by Jesus, and continued through the apostles and through their writings after Jesus he is the sustainer of everything. If he's not, all of this is a lie. And none of this matters. Nothing about Christian faith, nothing about the Word of God matters. But the claim of Scripture is clear. He is before all things. Just to make sure that this gets rooted into our minds, I want to give us a couple of other texts just to help us to understand who Jesus is before I get to why this matters so deeply for you and for me in 2021. So first, Psalms 119, verses 89 through 91. Now remember as we read this, who is the Word of God? Who is the Logos? That's Jesus. That's what John tells us. So forever, O Lord, and anytime you see Lord capitalized in your Old Testament, that's, that's God's name. It's Yahweh. So forever, O Yahweh, your word 
is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment, they stand this day. For all things are your servants. Just, just think of it. All things are your servants. That's not just people. That's the tides of the ocean. They serve Him. The volcanoes serve Him. Everything serves Him. And His Word sustains it. And it is, everything is fixed by His Word. Psalms 104, and I'm not going to read it this morning. I would encourage you to do that during lunch or do that as a devotion this week sometime. I love Psalm 104, and it's hard to read Psalm 104 without starting to feel just stirred in your hearts about God and who He is because it's all about His creating work and what He has done. And just so you know, since I can't read it, it's full of phrases like, You cause, you make, you set in place over and over and over again these words about who God is and ultimately who Jesus is. And why this is encouraging to me, let me just, what can you cause that can't be stopped? What can you make when you have nothing? Hold your hands out and look at what's in your hands right now. Everybody do that. Like, see what's there? Nothing. Make me something. You can't. We can't. What can you set in motion that one day will not grind to a halt? Nothing. Because everything that you have your hands on and that you try to maintain with with your hands throughout your life someday is going to fade because your strength is going to fade. Your age and your vitality is going to fade. Sorry, I know that's depressing. Merry Christmas. Nonetheless, it's real. It's true, isn't it? Like It can only be sustained by you as long as you have the strength to do it. Jesus' strength never fades. It never fades. He's the cause of everything. He makes everything. He sets everything. Every law of physics and nature is all His. And this should give us tremendous rest and hope for several reasons. And this is where this becomes so important for us. First, it reminds us that your suffering is not outside of His authority. We all walk into this morning with something. And let me just be clear. When we talk about things like suffering and difficulty, we're not saying that life is not also full of tremendous joy and tremendous celebration and tremendous moments of happiness and and friendships and new beginnings, but it's also full of tremendous hardship. But we can be reminded, when we are reminded of Jesus' position in the universe, that your cancer is subservient to Him. Your fibromyalgia is subservient to Him. Your headaches, they're subservient to Him. Your infertility is subservient to Him. That person who abuses you, that spouse who abuses you, they are subservient to Him. The boss who robs you, subservient to Him. Sin, everything is subservient to to Jesus. He has authority over it all. And again, I'm going to be clear. Cancer, thorns, 
thistles, all kinds and forms of trials and tribulations. They are the effect of sin. They are the effect of brokenness. But even still, none of it holds authority over Jesus. None of it. The Scripture is clear. Your and my days, they are numbered. They are written down. Nothing can cut them short. He is the one who sustains. This should give us hope because when he says one day that he's going to put it all to an end, and one day he's going to fix it all, and one day he's going to stop it all, we know that he can. And because he can, we know that he will. If I looked at your suffering right now and I said, I'm so sorry, I'm going to make an end to that, that means nothing because I have no power over it. As much as I want to end the suffering of the people that come into my office and come into this church and they're broken and they're hurting, as much as I would love to to see that turmoil end in their lives, I can do nothing to stop it. Jesus can. So when he says he will... You have hope. I have hope. Because he has the power to do it. And he sustains all things. And he's before all things. Another reason for hope is that as the one who is willfully holding all things together, every single moment we breathe is evidence of his patience and his mercy. Just think about that. Have you ever heard the text that every time the sun rises... It's like his, his mercies are new every day. You know what mercy means? Mercy, mercy is that we aren't getting what we deserve. Mercy is that we're not getting what it is that we deserve. Grace is when we get something that we don't deserve. Like These are two different things. And his mercy is new every single morning. So every single time you breathe in a breath, guess what that is? Mercy. Because you don't deserve that breath just think about what god has done in his mercy this is to encourage our souls in a sense that no matter how much we rebel against him no matter how much wickedness we have within ourselves no matter how much we curse his name he still will sustain the breath of the most wicked of men and women is that not patience is that not love And then you add on grace to that, that he will bring rain down upon the earth, is what Scripture says, even for the wicked, so that the wicked have food to eat and have good things to experience and relationships and friendships and water and and all the things that Christmas has. This is God's mercy and this is God's grace. And so every single day that we have is evidence there's still time. And he's still In his loving steadfastness and patience, he still is drawing out of this mess a people for himself. So I'm going to get real practical. This Christmas season, if you have loved ones that don't know Jesus, he's still being patient with them. There's still time. 
Some of you have sons or daughters or brothers or sisters or even parents you've prayed for for years and years and years and years. And every moment they have with breath still in their lungs is a moment they still have a chance to repent and come to the Lord. And it doesn't matter how many years they walk away from Jesus, the moment they repent and put their faith in him, it's all gone. Amen? So you can be hopeful this Christmas season. You can be hopeful this Christmas. There may be someone sitting right next to you this morning that you know doesn't know Jesus. And there's hope for them because he is still being merciful. He's still being patient. He's still sustaining because he doesn't have to. And brothers and sisters, there's going to be a day he no longer sustains it all. Amen? But he is. That's what... Is happening even in this Christmas month, so we can be encouraged by that. There is hope for every soul as long as God sustains breath in them. Not only is he the sustainer of everything, but this text also reminds us that he is the head of the church. This little baby came to be the first fruits of restored image bearers. Remember last week we talked about image bearers and what that means. He's to be the first of restored image bearers, a people a people coming together, a family, brothers and sisters in Christ, a new kingdom, a new citizenship, a new people called the church, the ecclesia, those that have been called out. Everybody who's listening to this message, whether you're in this room or you're online, if you've put your faith in Jesus and you call him Lord, you are members of his body. You are his people. Christmas is about God dwelling with us again, reconciling uh, us to himself to be his people out of his enemies, which we're going to talk about next week, and you don't want to miss that. But not only is he the sustainer of creation, he is also the head of the church, the first of billions who have been made right before the Father. So they will not suffer the wages of their sin. This means a few things for us that bring us encouragement in the Christmas season. First, as the head, he has conquered this world, which guarantees our victory. This baby will guarantee our victory. While we wait for him to return again, remember his words in John chapter 16. I have said these things to you that in me... Just see that. Not in your circumstances, not in your successes, not in your comforts, not in the removal of your pain, not in the removal of your suffering in this world. But he says, In me you will have peace. Because in this world you will have tribulation. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace because in this world you will have tribulation. And then some of the best words for all of us to hear, but take heart. Take heart. Because I have overcome the world. This is the head of this body telling us what he has done. While we are here, we are going to have difficulty. You are going to have hardships. We are going to have tornadoes rip through Iowa like what happened earlier this week. But take heart, church. He has overcome the world. 
He has overcome the world. He says, take heart because I've won the day, because I have become victorious. Christmas morning is the morning of the beginning of our V-Day. That's what it celebrates. This is the very power of the resurrection. And it's something we have to hold together, right? Because if Jesus is just born, but he never dies and he's not risen, are we celebrating Christmas? No. So I know that's Easter, but you can't have Christmas without Easter. You can't have Christmas without Easter because otherwise he's just another prophet. He's just another religious man, but he isn't. He's God. He's the image of God. He died, and he took up his own life. He overcame the world. If he truly rose, it gives us tremendous hope to trust in him and to have peace regardless of our circumstances. As the head and as the sustainer of not only the church, we can also be encouraged that Jesus always, 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 always finishes what he starts. He always finishes what he starts. Two texts that should comfort our hearts in this Christmas season as we struggle with sin, as we struggle with doubts, as we struggle with our failures, or just the day-to-day life and discouragements that come every day. First is Philippians chapter 1. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If he has begun to work in you, no matter what you struggle with this morning, he will complete that work. That should encourage us. It should bring hope to us. Psalm 138 says this, The Lord, again, remember that's his name, Yahweh will fulfill his purposes for me. Your steadfast love, O Yahweh, it endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. He will fulfill his purpose for us. The Father first accomplished his promises in Jesus, and Jesus will accomplish all of his purposes for us, even in the hard. Even in the hard that we've experienced this year, not only as individuals, but as a people, as a country, because of him, these things are not useless, but they will be turned, they will be used, they will be applied for our eternal good. It may not feel like it, And they may not seem like it, but a million years from now, we will have no regrets, even for the most painful and the darkest of days. Like, isn't that awesome? Like, because he can restore it. It means that in the midst of all of this, not only is he not surprised by what's going on in your life, but he is there with you in the midst of it. He's promised to not forsake you or to leave you. And his purposes, his purposes in the midst of that, even though they may not be seen, even though we can't possibly imagine why God would let this thing take place, we can trust in him because we can trust in his character. As a parent, I'm sure some of you have walked through this if you've had kids, but you allow your kids at times to struggle to endure things that are hard and not easy. 
And they may look at you and be like, why? You have the power to take this from me. You have the power to step in and, and tie my shoe for me. Oh, that seems like a small struggle, but if you've ever watched my daughter try, you would feel like someone's trying to rip her arm off. Right? It seems like a small thing, but I'm going to make her struggle with it. I'm going to make her experience the trials and, and walk through some of those difficulties. And she doesn't know why. She has no knowledge of why her dad would allow such a thing to happen. But I know it's for her good. I know that that thing is necessary for her development. That thing is necessary for her to grow and to mature and to have a good picture and image of what this world really holds for her. I know it's what's good for her. And she doesn't get it. So what does she have to do? She has to trust in my love. And she has to trust in my care. Friends, I can look out in this room and some of you, I, I know you've gone through really hard stuff. And if you're going to come to me and you're going to say, why? Why did my spouse pass away? Why did I get cancer? Why is my child doing these things? Why can I not have kids? Why did I lose a child? Why? Why? I don't have an answer for you. I don't know. But I know the one who does. And I know he loves you. And I know he's for you. And I know that he is not against you. And I know that he is going to bring to completion what he is doing in you right now. And so I have hope. And I want you to have hope this Christmas season. I can't give you the answer why, but I can tell you he's there. And I can tell you that he's doing work and he won't drop that work because he's strong enough to bring it all the way to the end. I am not oftentimes, even as a father. This Christmas season, be encouraged in the head of this body who guarantees our victory, who guarantees that he will finish what he starts in us. Brothers and sisters, people outside of the body of Christ, they don't have that hope. They don't have that hope. Their pain, their suffering is not like the pain and the suffering of God's kids. Their pain and suffering is not like birth pains that will lead to life. Their pain and suffering is just pain and suffering that leads to death. That's it. And all their pain and suffering is, is a shadow as a much more painful eternity. Not so for the people of God. Our pain and suffering not only has the promise of restoration and redemption, but our pain and suffering reminds us that there is a day and there is a place where there will be none of it. No more. It'll all be gone because Jesus has walked down that path, which leads me to the third point that this text reminds us that he is the firstborn of the dead. Again here, this is talking about rank, not chronology. When we see the idea in the word of being firstborn, we're simply saying that he's the inheritor. He has been given and it's been publicly displayed that he is the rightful ruler. He is the undeniable ruler of all things. We don't celebrate, as I already said, the birth of Jesus without celebrating also his death and his resurrection. Without this, without his resurrection, we would all still be lost in our sins. We'd all still be lost in our sins. 
But Jesus broke down the doors so that we could follow him. He has raised up himself and he defeated death, assuring us that if he can do it to himself and he can do it for himself, he can do it for us. Which is harder? Raising yourself from the dead or having someone raise you from the dead? As impossible as it sounds to be raised from the dead, which is harder? Well, just to make sure he knew that we could trust him with it, he rose himself from the dead. He rose himself from the dead and says, well, listen, if I can do that, why wouldn't I do that for my people? Why wouldn't I do that for my people? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 55 through 57. Oh, death, where is your victory? Everyone in this room is going to die. But everyone in this room who has put their faith in Jesus Christ can declare, and when we stare death in the face, can say, where is your victory? This is not the end of my story. This is not the end of my life. This is not the end of what God has begun to do in me. This is the beginning. Where, O oh death, is your victory? O oh death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not through your efforts, not through being good enough, through Jesus the baby we celebrate at Christmas. That's our hope. It's the only hope we have. And as we remember his coming 2,000 years ago, granting to us this victory, we now look forward to his next advent or his coming. This truly is the hope of Christmas. And it leads to the next point, that he has inaugurated the new creation as the firstborn of the dead, he has inaugurated the new creation. This baby, who is before everything and sustains this creation, now begins and has begun the next creation, the eternal one. Eternity and the new heaven and the new earth have already begun. He is simply preparing it for us. Again, our lives are full of turmoil, they're full of temporary joys, they're full of all of these different things, but our Lord has already done the work and is already preparing for us a place without that turmoil, without the instability of disease, without the failure of governments, without economies collapsing, without bodies breaking down, people hating one another. And get this, while he sustains this world, he is building and sustaining the next world. Who does that? While he sustains your breath in this one, he is preparing for us another one. As the firstborn from the dead, we are also guaranteed perfect and immortal bodies. The immortal is guaranteed. Jesus was eternally existent before he clothed himself in flesh, before he clothed himself in what is mortal. Now, through his resurrection, he publicly displays his power to everyone that he can take the mortal flesh and make it immortal. And his existence is not only before all things, it's after all things. You know, in Scripture, when it says that Jesus, he is the Alpha, the Omega, he's the beginning, he's the end, you know what that means for us? We're hemmed in. You know what it means to be hemmed in? 
I think you're, you're secure in that hemming, that, that, that security that he's there before you, right? You had a before. He doesn't. He's there before you. And guess what? He's always there after you, which means for all of eternity, he will be there for us. He will be there maintaining us and sustaining us and, and sustaining us in the new creation, in the new eternity. We are hemmed in. Absolutely impossible for us to imagine as finite people, but it is the promise of Jesus. And it is the promise of Christmas. It can be really hard for us when we think about this because we see beginnings and endings every day, don't we? Everything has a beginning. I had a beginning. My parents had a beginning. My marriage had a beginning. This building had a beginning, and it will have an end. My tenure here at Central Christian Church had a beginning. It will also have an end. Everything has a beginning. Everything has an end except He's before all things. He's after all things. Can't get away from him. And not only is he there before and not only is he there after, but he's there right now in the midst of it as well. We will always be hemmed in by Jesus. Eternal. The eternal. It's beyond us. But Christmas brings us face to face with the eternal. And I love the last line of our text. So that in everything, he might be preeminent. I'm guessing you sang the word preeminence, and we've said the word preeminent more this morning than you have in the, most of the rest of your entire life, right? right? What, well, preeminence, okay, what does that even mean? Well, 2,000 years ago, Mary gave birth to Jesus in a tiny little town so that in every single thing that exists, visible and invisible, in creation, in time, outside of time, that he might show himself to be, to take claim upon, and to publicly declare that he has superior status and rank over all of it, over everything. Simply put, as we've started the beginning of our time, there is nothing he does not reign over. There is nothing he does not hold superiority to in this world. Everything is subservient to him. So we come full circle to his word, to his power, to his might, to his glory. And now in his superiority, he has made a way for you and for me to bask in his love, to be reconciled, to be redeemed, to be reminded of his provision, to be reminded of his steadfast care, to be reminded of his everything for us, not only today, but forevermore. Is there a better holiday than this? Can presence underneath the tree compare to this? Can lights on the tree compare to this? Can the feeling of the season compare to this? Can the food that you eat during Christmas morning and Christmas day compare to this? No, it can't, but they can help us fix our eyes upon the one who can compare to all of those things. In fact, he's better than all of those things. Those things are but a shadow. Every other holiday we celebrate looks to the past, doesn't it? Except for Christmas and Easter, they're the only two that don't only look to the past. Veterans Day looks to the past. 
Fourth of July looks to the past. Everything that we celebrate looks to the past. Christmas looks to the past at the one who is before all things so that we can be reminded of the future and the one who is after all things. Because Advent, Christmas, is what the celebration is for all of God's people. We look back so that we can look forward in hope and expectation when he comes again. He is coming again, church. He's coming again. And he's not going to come as a baby. He's not going to come as helpless. He's going to come to bring to full completion everything that he has started. Everything that he's started in you individually, everything that he's started in your families, everything that he's started in this world, he's going to end it. He's going to bring it all to completion. All of his promises are going to come to completion in that moment. And so Christmas isn't just about looking behind us. It's about looking forward to us and going, come, Lord Jesus, come. We're ready. End it, right? End it. Bring it to an end. Please deal with your enemies. Deal with the pain in my body. Deal with the, 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 the hurts and the lack of satisfaction and, and all of the things that I deal with all the time, my sorrows and my difficulties. Deal with all of it. End it. Bring it to a completion so that we might experience new creation, new life, fully and completely in Jesus forevermore. Every other holiday looks to the past, but Christmas takes us before all things so that we can look to another coming. The coming of our preeminent king to the kingdom that he is building for us, the kingdom that will be forever eternal ever eternal. Father, these things, when I read them, make me feel so small. And even in the effort and the desire to try to communicate them, make me feel so weak. And so I simply pray this morning, Father, that you might be exalted, that you might be glorified, that your name and your son might be lifted high because he truly is above all things. He truly is preeminent over all things. And we celebrate him. We celebrate him just because of who he is. You, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would be worthy of our praise, would be worthy of our lives, would be worthy of everything, even if you had chosen not to save us, you would still demand our worship. But you did. You did save us. You sent your son. We celebrate Christmas because of it, so we can be reminded of it, we can be hopeful that the one who is before all things the one who sustains all things, the one who is first above all things and who has created for himself a church and has promised to complete that which he started in the midst of all things, loved us, gave himself for us, was the way, the truth, and the life that we might find salvation. What a, what a wonderful 
gospel. What a wonderful good news. May we rejoice in it this season. I just pray that we would catch a tiny glimpse of the beauty that stands before us in Jesus. We'd catch just a tiny glimpse of the glory that his fleshly body contained. That we'd catch just a tiny glimpse of who you are. And I pray that it would stir in us worship. And we thank you for the salvation that we've been given. Thank you, Father.